some people are able to cut through the noise and find patterns and signals that maybe others are not and how powerful that can be when someone is able to harness that in a way that brings others along with them. I'm Tracy Lovejoy. And I'm Shannon Lucas. We're the co-CEOs of Catalyst Constellations, which is dedicated to catalyzing innate change makers to accelerate positive change. This is our podcast, Move Fast, Break Shit, Burn Out, where we highlight catalysts that are creating amazing change in the world. In this season of the podcast, we're diving deep into the skills that make catalysts successful, and we are very excited to have one that has deep knowledge of the skills that it makes it takes to make people successful, not as just as catalysts, but across driving this into business. Tiffany Bova is here with us today. She is the global growth evangelist at Salesforce and the author of the Wall Street Journal bestseller, Growth IQ. Tiffany, you want to, oh, you got the other book with you. And the new book, The Experience Mindset, Changing the Way You Think About Growth. Prior to working in Salesforce, she was a sales, marketing, and customer service executive and a VP, Distinguished Analyst and Research Fellow at Gartner, where she won the Thought Leadership Award and earned accolades from the best leaders in technology for her work in the world for her cutting edge analysis and her skill in architecting bold new strategies for sales and growth. She's ranked on the current Thinkers 50 list. Woo-woo! The world's top management thinkers and has appeared on MSNBC, Bloomberg, BNN, Bloomberg. That's new to me. Cheddar Canadian. News and Yahoo Finance. Thank you so much for being here with us today. Tiffany. Oh, thank you for having me. It's an honor. We'd love to start by understanding how do you relate to the concept of catalyst? Uh, I would say, you know, in our pre-call, which of course, you know, nobody who's listening to this was involved in that. So, you know, I don't want to say like we were just saying, so I'll be very clear in our pre-call, I asked the question, like, how do you define catalyst in this way? Because everyone, many have different definitions of it. So I felt like the one you gave, Shannon, was just perfect and really understanding how some people are able to cut through the noise and find patterns and signals that maybe others are not, and how powerful that can be when someone is able to harness that in a way that brings others along with them. So uh, I, I think it's a, an amazing topic. And I also think it's great for people to understand what does a catalyst look like, especially if they think they want to be better at that kind of skill or the flip of that, they think they're already really good at it. Um, and maybe others don't view that or agree with them in that, in that analysis of themselves. That was so beautiful. And you're already hinting at where we go next, which is we'd love to hear from you. What do you feel like are one or two essential skills that have made you successful as a catalyst? And feel free to share stories of how this has helped you or even fails along the way. Yeah, you know, as you as you mentioned, Tracy, I you know I started my career as a practitioner, running sales, marketing, and customer service uh, in tech. Always, I've been in and around tech for almost thirty years, and so I started as a quota carrying sales rep and kind of moved my way up the organization to eventually running a division of a Fortune five hundred company. But I was also very, very early in the cloud, uh, I, in the thing called the World Wide Web. Uh, I was selling domain names in 1996, 1997. Um, yeah, I, I was a was beta client, constant contacts beta client. Uh, you know, at that time, I was battling small businesses putting, you know, their information on this thing called the World Wide Web and not the yellow pages. We've come a long way since then. Uh, but I was fortunate enough to spend a decade at, at Gartner, which is the world's leading analyst and consulting firm in tech specifically. 
And it was a skill I did not have. I was not an analyst in that way. And so the first probably 18 to 24 months, I was there a decade, I really stumbled. It, it was it was an interesting transition for me because I was no longer carrying a quota. I wasn't selling anymore. All of a sudden, I was an individual contributor. Nobody was reporting to me. I was working from home full time. This is back in 2006. So, you know, I've been working from home for quite a bit. And it was isolating for someone who's used to being in a team environment. And so it was disruptive to me just personally, especially on a career journey. I thought I was just going to keep moving up in the organization, in the corporate world, in that sort of revenue generation engine, customer facing sort of role. But here I was. So and I'll tell you a story. It was, it was literally my first week and it was an all hands meeting. All the analysts got together, it was about a thousand and all the salespeople were there as well. It was in Florida at, um, at a Disney property. And the sales group was probably three doors down. And so I'm sitting in the last row in this analyst room. I didn't know anybody outside of the couple of people who had interviewed me. And the head of research at the time gets on stage and he's talking about you know the power of the research and our role in the communities. And he said a joke and he had a slide up there with this philosopher. Everybody laughed. I felt like everybody laughed. I didn't get the joke. And then maybe 15 seconds later, the music from the sales room, three doors down, was like the Rocky theme. You know, and I turned my head and looked to that room and I'm like, oh my God, did I make a massive mistake? Am I in the wrong room? And that's kind of how I felt for a good 18 months. But one day, you know, I started to kind of find my way. And I think that the way I describe it to people is I uncovered a superpower I didn't know I had, which was I could take the stars in the sky and I could see the Big Dipper. And the stars in the sky might be various data points from Gartner and elsewhere, conversations, books I was reading, TED Talks I was listening to, wherever the information was coming from. I had always been a student of my profession. And all of a sudden I was able to say, hold on, how do I take all this data I'm consuming and insights I'm consuming and how do I create the Big Dipper and tell a story that would be compelling to an executive who then didn't have to go and consume all that analysis, right? And all that insight. So I'd say that for me um, would be the skills, right? Understanding what you may be good at or think you're good at. Once you start to find an area that I want to be really clear here. Others realize you're really good at, and then starting to work on that muscle over time to, to build the strength, uh, to con continue to develop it over time and really become that catalyst, not only for yourself, but for your customers. What led you to make the leap into analysts that seemed like it felt counterintuitive? And 18 months is a long time to kind of hang in there and, and, and see if you feel like you have the skill set. I was at the tail end, of, tail end of the title of your book. I was moving fast. I was breaking shit. And I was burnt out. Yeah. So because I was super early in the cloud, it, it, was, it was a pace I'd never seen. And, you know, there was a time for almost three years, three and a half years, I hadn't slept in my bed seven straight nights. I was just on the road all the time. And I was burnt out and I was standing, getting ready for work one day and, you know, standing in the mirror, this sort of, this is the classic, you know, story. And I sort of saw myself and literally went, I just, 
didn't recognize myself. I was so disconnected from who I was, my friends, my family, my life. I was just grinding on this hamster wheel of corporate America that was all about, you know, revenue this quarter, next quarter, changing the world, all really good things, all really fun, really inspiring, really challenging. There was lots of goodness there, but I was burnt. And so I needed to get off that merry-go-round, if you will, and change it up for myself just to give myself a break. And I never expected I'd be at Gartner for 10 years. I'd never had a job for 10 years. I was changing jobs almost every 18 to 24 months. And so I stayed because I found this balance back in my life and I was challenged and it was exciting. And I was dealing with lots of customers from around the world. I was learning every day. And so that to me, while I didn't have, you know, the love I have for sales for what I was doing, because I just really love to sell, although I don't anymore, um, it filled up a new bucket of joy I didn't know I needed or wanted. So that is why I made the shift. Uh, and you're right, I hung on for 18 months because it, it took me about that long to decompress, actually. I hadn't come out the other side of it to be like, okay, yeah, this isn't working for me. I was still sort of breathing yeah. through, you know, what had happened to me for the last 15 years, right? The pace I had had. So, so that's how it happened. How did you balance the, sorry, let me can start bring forward the thoughts in my head. So, you know, where I've gotten hearing this, this beautiful story. You're at the top of your game. You're hyper burnt out. You realize you need to step into this new role. You're wondering if you fit in, you're wondering if you have strengths and value to contribute in this room of world-class analysts. It's, you know, like it was, it was, this was the group. Right. And you're highly burned out. So how do you balance that you're highly burned out with all of a sudden having this steep learning curve? How does that equate to, to moving out of burnout? Well, I, I can tell you, it's not that being an analyst isn't difficult or that skill doesn't require time and attention and dedication. It's that the things that were burning me out, like the travel schedule, I wasn't traveling at that pace anymore. There was no one reporting to me. So I wasn't taxed and getting pulled in lots of directions, which by the way, they were my people. It was my responsibility. So with that responsibility was a layer on top of my burnout, right? Now I didn't have people that I had to worry about that reported to me. So that was freeing. Travel reduction was freeing. The P&L grind of sitting in front of the executive team at a Fortune 500 company, you know, daily, sometimes twice a day, talking about the numbers, talking about the pipeline, talking about the forecast, like this just drumbeat of repetitiveness. And, you know, in, in sort of, you know, sharing the story, I was really early in tech as a, as a female one, two, as a female leader. And so I was always in the room with male leaders, of which at that point, there wasn't always the ally. Now, look, I don't think I got work because I was a woman or didn't get work because I was a woman or got a job because I was, you know, I don't think that maybe I'm naive, but in sort of fighting what I thought was right in trying to be that catalyst of change in an organization that was very steady state, was very fixed in the way they were doing things, someone like me trying to come in and rough it up a little bit, um, wasn't always viewed as a good thing. And so mm -hmm. I was pushing that rock up the hill, you know, kind of every day. And I separate those two things. Again, I don't think it had anything to do with the fact that I was a woman, but I bring that up as the timing of all this happening is sort of 2004, 2006, 2008, 
97, 98, 99. I mean, I was for sure, even my clients uh, were male uh, at the time that were running IT departments and CIOs, et cetera. So I had really been through this wave of not having a seat at the table, getting a seat at the table. Okay, now I'm moving up in leadership. Now I'm the only one again, getting a seat at the table, you know, making a difference. And it sort of just kept going through. So there was multiple things that were driving that burnout. Um, and so me to go to the other side, it was a pretty good mix of men and women analysts at Gartner at the time. So I felt like, oh, okay, I, there's women I can learn from. You know, there is obviously there's men I can learn from. There's an international aspect of it. So I could learn culturally what's different. There was so much richness in there for someone like me who's just highly curious. Uh, it was a good fit. You've just talked about something that we haven't heard others bring in a new way. And I so appreciate it because we talk about burnout a lot. And you're, you're helping us understand that there are paths back from burnout that, that don't have to be quitting your job. Correct. Right. Um, and I'm hearing that you got incredibly clear on a couple of things. One is what was contributing to the burnout, which sometimes can be really hard for us to see. And so you were able to say, like, these things need to come off of my every day. And it sounds like you had some clarity on what was important to you, including having a role where you would be learning, that that would be filling. That coming, if you'd moved into a role that was just kind of operational and, and wrote, wouldn't, wouldn't have worked. No. Uh, so thank you for helping us break that down. That was really powerful. Back to the skills, you said it's about knowing what your strengths are. How does one do that, especially in a role where it's not necessarily aligned to where your superpowers were growing? Yeah, this goes back to that comment I made pretty quickly about that kind of self-awareness. I thought I knew, you know, and you could say, oh yeah, I've done a 360, you know, where I evaluate myself and, you know, a client or a peer does and my boss does, and, you know, you get that 360. I did it a little bit unconventionally. Um, I, I had the opportunity uh, through my role where I was on stage quite a bit. So through that, uh, people would always ask, can I have a copy of the slides? It's like, I felt like they weren't really listening. All they were thinking about is how do I get a copy of the slides at the end of a presentation? <laughs> but maybe it was both. So I started saying, well, everybody, you know, if I it was kind of a room, 100 people, 1,000 people, 3,000 people, I'd get probably 10 to 15% that would send me a note and say, literally, can I get a copy of the slides? So I said, well, what do I get in return for that, right? Because the IP sort of leaving was a little bit counterintuitive, also not really what Gartner wants to do. So I would scrub some of it, but how could I get them uh, the things that I knew that they were really interested in? So I said, if you give me feedback on the presentation, I will give you the deck. I will give you a PDF of the deck. And so I appreciate it if you want to say I was really good or you liked my suit or you know you liked my tennis shoes like whatever, but I really actually am asking for the content, like what stood out in the content. It gave me a couple of things. One, it gave me visibility into what was landing, what was not landing, what didn't make sense, what made sense, what was too confusing or I covered too fast. On the flip of just the pure content, what else it gave me was keywords about me, powerful, interesting, provocative, disruptive, um, confident, whatever words were being used, I started to capture those words. And it was almost like a word cloud. You know, and I did this on my own. This wasn't like I was using, you know, right? I just all of a sudden started to keep a list of what the words were. And so I started to see groupings, right, of what people would say and do. And so then I was like, hold on a second. 
this is how people see me, how people feel when they hear me give a keynote, when, you know, people are in the room with me during, you know, an executive consulting engagement where peers or whatever, right? I would start to look for what would they say? And look, it, sometimes it's not always positive. It could be, you know, you were talking too fast or I didn't understand what you were saying or I didn't agree. Like, so it wasn't just always glowing. There was a mix. From that list, I then said, okay, I'm going to update my LinkedIn profile. I'm going to start to use the words people use for me. I'm going to update my Twitter file, right? I'm going to change my bio. I'm going to start to use these words in the descriptions of keynotes I give or whatever the case might be. I started to look externally for the words. And when that happened, I really kind of almost started to find my stride and people started to say to me, I love how you're able to aggregate lots of data and give it to me in a digestible story that I can understand and action. I'm like, thumbs up right? Like that is my superpower. So I could look across the landscape of all the research Gartner was putting out and I'd say, okay, who is my audience? Head of sales, head of marketing, head of customer success or digital marketing. That's the audience. So how does this data relate to that role? And I could translate it because I had done the role, which not many analysts have actually done the job they are talking about. You know, they're talking to CIOs. Have they been one? They're talking to developers. Have they been one? I was talking to sales, marketing, and customer service leaders. I had been one. My language was a shorthand and they appreciated it. So that was a long answer to a very short question, but it was a multi-step process. And I think that comes down to that. You have to be willing to look for what is your superpower and not based on what you think, but the self-awareness and take the good and the bad. And the things that I was, by the way, not good at, my friend Naomi Simpson calls it non-strengths. So strengths and not strengths, non-strengths. She does not say weakness. My non-strengths, I pushed aside. Like, do I need to spend my time and energy to go get better at my non-strengths or do I double down where I'm strong? Now, there might've been some non-strengths like you just got to get better at writing an email or something like that. Like those are a given, right? But you don't have to be good at everything. So you know, push those non-strengths aside, focus on the things you can be good at and, and then you can really carve a niche out for yourself. It, it, that was fabulous. And I love the, the, the way that you weaved in the skills that help us with that skill, right? So the main skill of getting you know, clear on what your strengths are, but asking for feedback as a skill, growing your self-awareness that you're accepting the feedback as a skill, growing your self-awareness as a result. That was just spectacular. Thank you. It's awesome because it's so meta, right? Like as you're going through that process, what you're doing is you're getting all of the data and you're making the, you're finding the signals through the, the, yeah, the signal through the noise about your own narrative. And one of the outcomes is that, is that you're really good at finding the signal through the noise. I mean, it's just fantastic. And, I, and I'm really linear. Like I, I just walked, that was very linear, right? Like yeah. big funnel, lots of feedback, blah, 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 right? It's going to get me down to here are the five, seven, 10 descriptors. That's my super. So I'm also really linear and I'm literal. So, and I'm a visual listen learner, not a read learner. So all that kind of combined allows me to, to, uh, allowed me to sort of find my way through this. I really appreciated that strength in your, your book, Growth IQ, because it was such a beautiful way to help lay out things that can feel very conflated as you pulled out the 10 paths. And then at the end, even like, what does it mean to combine these? How do you look at metrics? I, so shout out to everyone, Growth IQ. But there's a great, there's a great example. I, I, that book has 10 paths to growth. 
each path has three stories, two positive use cases, one you know, uh, negative use case to kind of give you a cautionary tale. I could have written 230 pages just pontificating about what I think about it, or I'm a storyteller. I can let the stories tell what I actually want to convey. And I just wrappered it right with a framework by which I'd give you a little upfront, right? Then I'd tell you the stories. I'd tell you why the stories meant what they meant. And I got more feedback on the architecture of Growth IQ than the content, actually. People really appreciated how I wrote it, underlines, sketch notes, short attention span, tell you what I told you, bullets, move on. <laughs> Built for a catalyst audience. I love it. All right. So Tiffany, what's the biggest challenge that you're facing right now as a catalyst leader? I think now uh, what is, uh, not that this hasn't been fairly consistent, but right now at this point in time, we're coming out of a hundred year experience of a pandemic. We've had so much change in the supply chain. We've had change in the employer-employee relationship. We have challenges with the economy on a global basis. We have lots of stress across multiple parts of the human existence. Uh, I'll leave it at that. Um, and within there, that means as leaders, we have to solve for lots of stakeholders. Our employees, our shareholders, our communities, <laughs> our planet, <laughs> like we could go on and on and on. So I think where I find the greatest challenge for leaders and catalysts today is where am I going to apply my time? And unfortunately, many feel it's an or play. It is an and play, and it forces us to make sometimes very difficult decisions. But you have to be able to multitask and have this kind of bimodal mentality of I'm solving for today while at the same time I'm planning for the future. And that requires a very specific skill set. Otherwise, you default to where you're most comfortable in the weeds right, or in the sky. And you kind of need a little bit of both right now, because if you don't know what's happening in the business, you don't know how to fix it. If you're only focused in the big picture, you're missing what's really happening in the business. And I think there has been a much greater divide between what executives think is happening in their organization versus what employees actually believe, feel, know, and expect to happen to them in the workplace. And that is a recipe for the great resignation and quiet quitting. So I feel like we got ourselves here. Um, the pandemic was just a catalyst to force us to pay attention to what we've been ignoring for some time. And I haven't gotten to read the experience mindset yet. Am I guessing that some of this will be addressed in this that is kind of the crux of it. What, what happened was I was standing on stage in, in, at an event in Canada, and I, it was, uh, I guess, four or five years ago now. And I said, I didn't think it was a coincidence. Salesforce is a great place to work pretty much around the globe. If it's not one, it's in the top five. It's one of the most innovative companies in the world, and it's the fastest growing enterprise software company. I didn't think that was a coincidence. And after I said it in my head, I went, I don't think that's a coincidence. But I'm not the first to say it. Like many people, Herb Kelleher, Richard Branson, lots of people have said happy employees, happy customers, you get that right, you get greater growth. But I hadn't seen anyone prove it. <laughs> I'd seen people prove if you take care of employees, here's what happens. I've seen people prove if you take care of your customers, here's what happens. I had not seen anyone tie the two together in a way 
that had direct connection or correlation between the activities of an employee that have the greatest impact on customer that have the greatest impact on growth. So the CMO at the time gave me a little bit of money. We did some research and lo and behold, we found that companies, this was a US study, this first one that got employee experience right and customer experience right, saw a 1.8 times faster growth rate than those that did not. So for a billion dollar brand, it's a $40 million impact. And of course, not everybody's a billion dollar brand. So if you're a million dollar brand, you can do the math, right? Could you amplify your growth? And the growth rate was like eight and a half percent. If you weren't getting those things right, it was like 4.2%. So I'm not saying you're not going to grow, but I say you absolutely get a multiplier effect if you get those two things right. So that stuff began the journey. Then we did a second one. We did it global. And that's where we uncovered this great disconnect between what the C-suite thinks is happening versus what the employees are, think is happening. Um, and then we did a third study uh, for a retailer in the U.S. to just uncover um, what are the things that employees are looking for. And when you get that right, this retailer was able to realize a 50% increase per person, per head, per hour for store a store uh, uh, resource um, for what they were generating. So $41 or $42 an hour to in the 80s. And so we could now start to have a conversation instead of it being, well, yeah, of course, it's obvious. Happy employees, happy customers. Get that right. Get greater growth rate. Like that's obvious. But if it's so obvious, as the book shows, uh, not many are doing it. Well, I'm very excited to get a chance to, to read that launching imminently. Uh, and I'm going to turn you over to Shannon for rapid fire. All righty. Here we go. Here we go. Let me get some water. Hold on. <laughs> do it. All, All right. right. One thing you do to be ready for a big meeting. Depends who it's with. Because I think that's, yep. It depends who it's with. So you want to get more specific or you want me to give you options? Give us options. Yeah. So if you are meeting internally, I think right now, as people are trying to avoid burnout, uh, I would ask the person who's invited you to the meeting, not unless it's a team meeting, like that kind of stuff put aside, but all of a sudden you get this invite to this meeting. This is where you can find out what your superpower is. Thank you, Shannon, for inviting me to this meeting. I just want to make sure I come prepared. What is it you would like me to contribute to the meeting? And maybe if you're so bold, why did you invite me? And if it's the answer is, you know, like, oh, I just thought you'd find it interesting. Give yourself some time back, right? Just say, I'm going to, I'm going to politely decline. Like I've just, I'm, I'm slammed, right? Or I just, I'm going to do something else during this time slot. If they go, well, here's why, because you have a really good view on bop, 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 right? I appreciate your opinion on bop, bop, bop. Now you're like, okay, little check for your list on superpower, right? So now you know what you're supposed to prepare for. That's a great example. If it's a customer, right, external meeting, uh, that's where you have to do a little bit more work, right? Because do not say like, what keeps you up at night? Or what's the top three challenges you have? Like pretty much you can sort of figure that out if you do even 15 minutes worth of work, right? Listen to an earnings call if they're publicly traded, read their you know, financial deck if they're publicly traded. If they're not, listen to the last podcast an executive did or an article, go to their website. Maybe you may know a common connection on you know, LinkedIn, reach out, find out about them so that you show up with more information than had you not prepared. Because what it tells them is you care enough about them to be prepared, that you're not asking them like, hey, you asked me for the meeting. Now you're asking me what I, you can do for me. Like, okay, why did I take the meeting? Same thing. Like, what if your customer said to you, hold on, 
why did you invite me to this meeting? Why do you want to meet with me? And you don't know the answer to that question. They should say no as well. Where? So, right. So I'd say those are sort of two things, right. To just make sure, um, full stop. Why are you there? And to be prepared. I love to be prepared. And it's, you know, seeing people at your level with your breadth of experience, it's such a good reminder for, you know, people who are coming up the ranks that that is still the thing that you lean into. But I also deeply appreciate the specificity of what it means to be prepared in different contexts. So I loved, I loved your answers. Yeah. And, I, and, and I'll be honest here. Do I do it every single time? No. Do I aspire to do it every time? Sure. But I will tell you what comes with experience and time is you need less and less preparedness because you now know what are the right questions to ask in certain situations. You're able to read body language better. You, you have a general understanding of a market. So even though you may not know specifically this particular customer or this particular industry or, or this particular brand rather, you know what's happening in the industry, right? So that's that constant curiosity. It will get you by if you don't have time to do that very specific one-on-one -on -one kind of research, but if it's a big meeting, like you're trying to close a deal, get a job, influence someone to do something, then do the work, do the work, <laughs> do the yes. work. Do the yeah, work. totally. All right. So, uh, how, how do you spend a free day? Do you get free days and how do you spend them? This year has been a little light on free days because obviously I have a book publishing. So yeah. I have to finish the book, write the book, plan it. You know, so there has been that limited, small thing, <laughs> limited free days. Um, but I was born and raised in Hawaii. So being outside is uh, always where my default. Um, and I still get the wonderful pleasure of going back and forth between Los Angeles and Hawaii. So uh, I will be there uh, next week, actually, for a couple of days. So I tend to go home quite a bit. You know, if I can squeeze four or five days in, I will go home. Um, get in the ocean, get in the beach, see my friends, do nothing. Um, I unplug as much as I can in this day and age, right? We can't totally unplug, um, nor am I ready to totally unplug. So some of it is self-inflicted, but there are days, right? When I just am like, nope, I, you know, leave my work phone at home and uh, disconnect. But anything outdoors, uh, in the ocean, hiking, uh, yeah, anything outside, I'm happy. And island time, right? Island time is its oh, own different time. time. Is, is the best. Yeah. Island time is the best. You know, as soon as you show up to work, it's time for coffee. Then when you get back from coffee, it's time for lunch. And then <laughs> you're back from lunch, it's time for another coffee. And yeah, it's great. Yeah. Um, who's your favorite, favorite famous catalyst, alive or dead, and why? So, I, I, you know, I because I got the question sort of ahead of time, uh, I, I thought about that. And I didn't want it to be so, like, esoteric of, you know, do I say somebody that's, you know, really influenced a lot of people. So I'm going to pick someone who did for me. Um, and I know that's kind of the question, right? But specific, it might not be for, for other people. But the very first business book I ever read was In Search of Excellence by uh, a gentleman by the name of Tom Peters. And he was a co-author of the book um, with, with a gentleman by the name uh, Bill. And, and, and I, I was young. It came out in like 1980 two or one. And I was like a sophomore or junior in high school. So mind you, it's not like, Oh, I wanted to read business books. It was a gift from my stepfather. He gave me, he gave me that book. And then he followed it up with seven habits of highly effective people. Um, and then he gave me the Peter principle, like don't raise to your level of incompetence. That's a whole nother podcast, but let's focus on the first one on, on, uh, um, uh, Tom Peter's book in search of excellence. It taught me the power of excellence and what that meant, and also the people side of excellence. Now, mind you, I didn't read the whole thing until I was much older, 
um, but I kept it, you know, and I, and I started to refer to it more and more and I would start reading it more and more, right. As I got into business and then a little bit into leadership, oh, I'm going to go back and read that book. Tom is still alive. Uh, if you're on Twitter, he is, he is active and super fun to follow. I think it's Tom underscore Peters. And I want to fast forward to 2022. Along the way, over the last 15 years, we met. We kind of became friends. He's been on my podcast a couple of times. Um, I just adore him on so many levels. And I reached out to him and I said, hey, Tom, would you write the foreword to my book? Amazing. And lo and behold, the foreword is Yay! by Tom Peters. And he has retired. So the first book I ever read and his last foreword he'll ever write before he's retired is my book. Amazing. So that's him. a sort of a full circle moment, right? He's been a catalyst for so many. He's changed management thinking. Like, you know, if you ask people sort of their top five or 10 business books of all time in search of excellence always shows up. It's one of those, like it's, it created an entire category, but his work is so much more important now. It was all about people, 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 training, 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 take care of them, wander by management, by walking, manage by wandering around. You, oh, we all say this now. So much of what I put in the experience mindset was um, inspired by his work. So that's my story. That's amazing. And I'm picturing like, you know, I don't know what decade, when, what the year was, but like the cubicles of the eighties, right. And just yep. like the gray monotonous kind of matrix. And someone suggesting like, go talk with people, walk around, get to know your people, invest in them. Yeah. And I think the idea, I think, uh, M, uh, management by wandering around is kind of an acronym for him and he's sort of known for it. I want to say, I think it was Bill Hewitt from Hewlett Packard that mm. he was the one that kind of gave, he would walk through the manufacturing plant and, you know, when they were making um, things uh, locally in the US. And, you know, so it was, I think in the late seventies uh, and that kind of sparked that idea. And it kind of became part of his whole talk track for, you know, 30 or 40, 50 years. So, nice. you know, yeah. So that, uh, how do you manage by wandering around now virtually gets more difficult, right? Teams decentralized gets more difficult, but there's so a whole podcast on that one, Tiffany. I think equally that's a question. important. Yeah. Equally important. Yeah. Um, okay. well, I'll give you at least one call to action for our listeners. Huh? One call to action. Um, I'd say, uh, be so bold to ask the questions I asked, right? Why'd you invite me to the meeting? Why did you ask me to run this project? Why do you think I'm ready for or why not? Why do you not think? If you are find that sort of um, self-confidence to be really vulnerable and ask those questions, that's where rich learning about the value and superpower you bring and maybe what your catalyst contribution is. Um, and it may not be broad, it may be narrow, so what? Like we don't need 100% of people being broad-based catalyst thinkers. I mean, that wouldn't work. You may need lots of little niche ones and, and you may grow into becoming broader and broader, but I'd say become a master asker of asking those really probing questions that may help you be better in what it is you do uh, every single day. I love that. That's one of my life learnings. And um, I think you should just hold up the book again. Like, All right, here we go. One more time. Yeah, one more time. The experience mindset. 
Thank you so much, Tiffany. It has been an honor and a real pleasure getting to have this conversation and learn a little bit more about the about the you, the author behind the book and the wisdom. Oh, well, thank you so much for having me. It was really a great conversation. Thanks. Thanks. And to our listeners, thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to learn more about how to accelerate positive change, go to our website at catalystconstellations.com. Be sure to check out our book, Move Fast, Break Shit, Burnout. If you have other catalysts in your life, hit the share button and send a link their way. Thanks again. 